I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. We got a very special guest for you today. Um, Clay's doing an interview um, with Jeff Cohen, who's a hit songwriter, producer, has worked in all kinds of cool jobs in the music business, and I think you're going to learn a lot from him. So this is a clip from a, a longer interview that we have on the Songtown website. So if you enjoy what Jeff has to say, you can check it out there. And uh, here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Holy Water, sung by Big and Rich and co-written with your guest tonight, Jeff Cohen. We're pleased to have him here. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, Clay, thanks for having me. Great. Hello, everyone. So, guys, I just want to introduce you to Jeff. If you haven't heard of him, he's amazing. Um, he's not only a great writer, but he's a producer. He's worked as an executive at places like BMI, but I'm gonna just read a few things off of his one sheet. You can check him out at jeffcohenmusic.com and he's got a lot of great stuff and information there, but talk about major hit. One of my favorite all-time catchy melodies is Crazy for This Girl, Evan and Jaren. Um, it was a number three pop hit, huge. I mean, that that melody is just one. The you, First time you hear it, you're going to remember it forever because it's just so dang catchy. And great song. Um, Postcards from Paris, Pan Perry, another top five. Holy Water, which you just heard on the entrance, was Big and Rich hit. Um, Giddy Up, Laurie Bell Bundy. I Turn to, to You, Richie McDonald, my good friend from Lone Star. Um, Endless Road um, was a Song of the Year nominee in the U.K., Americana Awards. Okay, so he, we know he's a good songwriter now. He's had international cuts. He's had movie themes from our movie songs, Prince's Diaries, he said songs in. Stuart Little, too, one of those little funny movies that I, I loved. Um, I mean, just a ton of stuff. TV shows like Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, Party of Five, Desperate Housewives, goes on and on and on. So Without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys. Give us a virtual clap. <laughs> so, Jeff, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how you got started in this crazy music business. And, um, you know, just because you had an interesting journey kind of getting into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was um, I went to, to school in Pennsylvania and and then I did a semester in England and I was pre-law. I was going to be a lawyer. And then I decided I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. So I um, said, you know what, let me take some time and maybe just get a job, make some money and see if I still have a passion to do that. So I got a job, uh, my, my best friend, she got a job at Macy's in the uh, buying program, which I had heard was a good business experience. And uh, so I took the job and we did that. And I worked seriously like 70, 80 hours a week. And I'm like, man, if I'm gonna work this hard, I should do something at least I, like or that I'm remotely good at. I mean, I had women coming up to me at Macy's asking me, does this match for my husband? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm wearing a blue suit, a white shirt and a red tie. You're, you don't want to ask me advice on fashion. I'm wearing a blue t-shirt today. Um, so I said, well, you know, I was 22, 23 and I'm like, 
I taught myself how to play guitar in college and I sucked. I knew I couldn't sing real well. And I'm like, I think I can write a good song, but I didn't know you can make a living writing songs. My dad was a school teacher in Brooklyn. I didn't even know there was a music industry. I'd heard of Clive Davis, you know, yeah. so that was about my extent, but I thought I knew what was good. And I wrote to every record label in New York and just asked if I could be a secretary and just said, I want to try to find the next U2, which was the big thing back, you know, back mm -hmm. then. And, uh, and of course I probably said, find the next Jackson Brown or James Taylor, which is what I liked, you know? And um, nobody wrote me back. I didn't get a single response <laughs> from the record labels. So Did I went you offer to, to work for free when you said that you would, you would work there? Well, I was, I was, I was applying for a job at that point, but I uh, got you. But I probably if what I did when I was when I was in New York, Jeff, what I found worked is I called all the studios to try to get a, a job working in recording studios. And it turned out that um, Secret Sound was interested in working with me back then because I said I would come in and work for free. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I did learn that. I went to a temp agency and I got a job at a company I'd never heard of called BMI. And uh, it, was in, it was in the collection accounting department and it was for $16,000 a year. And uh, I took the job. My parents were not happy with me. And about three, four months into the job, my boss who made it very clear that my job was to make coffee, type her letters and answer her phones two of which I was really not good at. I don't know why she hired me. Um, let me turn my piano off. And, uh, and uh, she gave me a speech. She was gonna speak at the national conference for BMI, like the, the big exec thing. And she had, it was her job to do a speech on customer service. And this is where working for Macy's and having run the school's pub in college helped. So I typed her speech up and it was terrible it was really not good so i typed hers and then i kind of on my own volition kind of rewrote it and added a few things took out some things and i gave her hers and then gave her mine and said look your speech really inspired me and i got very excited so i wrote another alternative speech in case you wanted and she said uh, i didn't ask you to do that and i said well then throw mine out that's cool i had fun and she called me 15 minutes later and she goes, sit down. And I'm like, great, I just got fired. Three months into my first job. And she goes, I don't know who the hell you are, or what your deal is, but I know I'm gonna be working for you someday. She goes, my script sucks. Threw it out, use mine. She goes, you're coming with me to this executive thing and you have to make me a promise right now. I know you go out every single night to see bands and I know that you are out till all hours of the night. And I said, I get in there. I'm one of the first ones in. She goes, I'm not questioning. All I'm saying is I'm going to be working for you someday. Just remember, I let you do what you want to do. Wow. So and go meet all the music people. So I went and I saw the guy that was working, not the VP, but like the guy who was director, who was out in clubs. I saw him every night. I just didn't know. I never really met him. So I kind of just did a little uh, assessment of who did what. And I went up to the guy who's director, a guy named Mark Freed, who was a great guy, still yeah. is. And um, basically I just said, look, I'm Jeff. I work in collection. I'm done at five. If you need any extra paperwork, 
I'll come in after work or I'll come in weekends and do it for you. If you want me to scout new bands, I'm out every night. Tell me who to see and I'll scout for you. And he goes, what are you doing tonight? And I go, you tell me, what am I doing tonight? And I went to CBGB's, came in the next day and I knocked on his door and he goes, did you get to see the band? Do you say hi to them? I go, they're taking me for lunch. You want to come? <laughs> Six months later, I was his assistant. Two years later, I was associate director. Two years later, I was director. Then I became the director of Warren Chapel. And then exactly 11 months later, BMI got me back to run the New York office with Charlie and became senior director, then assistant vice president. And then in 99, I very inconveniently got sick. I got very sick and I had to take time off from work. And when I was in the hospital, I just thought to myself, man, I'm 33 years old. I love writing. My favorite time of the day is midnight when I come home. You know, there was no internet really back then. You, know, you want to see a band, you had to go out and go to a club. We were out, we were in the office from nine to seven. We were out in the clubs from seven till midnight, one, two, back in my spin doctor days and blues traveler and fish days and stuff. I was out till two, three in the morning with them. And then Chris from the spin doctors would always say, well, who here has to get up and be in an office at nine? And I'd be like, <laughs> fuck you guys, I'm out. <laughs> and I'd, and I'd, go, I'd go home and they'd keep going. Um, but I decided that I thought I had confidence in some of the songs I had written. I had never really pitched any or showed any, and I took a gamble. And uh, I got better, and I went to BMI. And I'll tell you one thing about BMI. I went to Del Bryant, who was the president at the time. Yeah. A great, great guy. And he was kind of like a older brother I never had slash father figure. You know, he's just, he's probably about 20 years older than me, maybe. But, you know, he's got that youthful spirit. So he's a father and a brother. And um, I told him, I said, Del, man, I just, I'm not quitting because I love BMI and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm retiring from BMI and I'm going to become a songwriter. And he goes, well, you're not going to work for ASCAP or Sony or, or Universal or EMI. I go, no, no, <laughs> you're really going to just be a songwriter. He goes, please, God, tell me you have some cuts lined up. I go, I think I've got five or six really strong songs I could start pitching. And he seriously <laughs> put his hands on his head and he goes, okay, full vice president, go back in your office. We'll discuss salary. You're getting a raise. I'm sorry you almost died, but do you know how hard it is to be a songwriter? And I go, Dell, I just worked BMI for 10 years, man. Of course <laughs> I know how hard it is. It's really hard. And I said, I'll never forgive myself if I don't try this. And I'm, and uh, it's funny because my dad was like, well, if it doesn't work out in a year, you could probably pop back into another. I go, dad, I'm not looking back till I'm 40. And then if I epically fail, I might need to change my plan. But I said, I was on a seven year plan and with no intention of failing. And, and just went out and made an album of my own stuff. I wrote it all myself. I hadn't really co-written up to that point. I found, I was approached, I was playing my friend's restaurant and this guy came up to me and said, man, I want to write with you. And I go, well, I don't really write with anyone. And he goes, what you're doing is what my brother and I want to do for our record, man. It reminds me of Delmetri and Counting Crows and we love it. And I said, I don't write with anyone. <laughs> and he goes, you don't know me, man. I'm going to bug you until you say yes. And Jaron called me and called me and called me. 
Okay, so wait a minute. Where, wait a minute. Where did you meet Jaron? I met Jaron. One of my mutual friend, our mutual, we had a mutual friend who told him to come meet me. Okay. To, to help him get a record deal, and said I, I was playing some small club called the Cottonwood Cafe, which was owned by uh, an amazing guy from Tyler, Texas, named J. W. Johnson, and he had given. Gosh, he had given Sean Colvin her start. Nancy Griffith played there in the 80s. Um, Mark Cohn got his start yeah. there. And um, back when I was a secretary at BMI, I stumbled onto this place and he let me have Thursday nights to book. So I started booking all the young writers I was working with, like Lisa Loeb and Jeff Buckley and wow. you know Jesse Harris, who went on to do Nora Jones. And we used to, and then J-Dub would close the restaurant down after and let us hang out he'd break out a bottle of wine and we'd pass guitars around till two in the morning at his restaurant and i think you know he had just gone through divorce he was probably about 10 years or so maybe 12 years older than us and he's got these crazy 23 24 25 year old kids you know playing guitar i think it just really you know it was really good for him you know we just all became great friends that's awesome so Jaron um, approached you and wanted to write with you. He was not a star yet. You were not a hit songwriter yet. Oh, I had never written with anyone. I had never released a song. I'd never had anything cut. And um, Jaron and Evan had a little following in Atlanta. And um, it's funny because I, my assistant at BMI loved them. I mean, they were like two gorgeous 26 year old guys. And um, so I said to Jaron, look, I've got a chorus of the song I finished. I've got some music, for, but I've never written any verses for this. Here, here's the cassette. Go write, if you want, go write some verses. So he did, he called me. I give the guy a lot of credit. He called me that night, five hours later with six different verse ideas. <laughs> and you know what? Clay, they were good. I was yeah. like, holy shit, this is great. And he's like, man, next time I'm in New York, would you write with me? And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And I also said to him, I said, look, I'm going down to Nashville for this conference called NAM, which was in the summer. It was, I was meeting a friend down there and I was gonna do some recording. So Jaron drove up from Atlanta. He took a room at like La Quinta or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met him over there and we wrote two songs and we had a great time and they ended up getting a record deal. Wow. Which was cool. Those guys were super hard workers, man. I mean, I cannot say enough amazing things about Evan and Jaron. Those guys were so focused and, you know, to this day, I mean, 20 something years later, still great friends with them when, you know, their weddings. I mean, they're good guys. That's awesome. Hey, I don't want to, just spring this on you but do you have a way to to sing that song live over there in your um sure yeah let me grab my guitar hang on that would be awesome y'all this was a huge pop hit i know i know the second you hear the melody you're gonna know what song this is it was a tremendous pop hit but before you do i want to say there there was two things that you said you made a commitment that you weren't you were going to be a songwriter and then the other thing is folks around Songtown hear me say this all the time is that you didn't start out writing with Jackson Brown. You started out 
co-writing with people around you like Evan and Jaron who were on the same level as you and you guys kind of all rose up together and that's you know you hear that story a lot almost every single person that comes on to do an interview with us says that same kind of thing so I just want you guys all to know that finding artists around you to write with is a really powerful thing and and you're more likely to have something happen doing that than trying to get that big co-write with a hit writer or a big artist I, I wish Clay I wish I had that opportunity in Nashville when I moved to Nashville I was 43 years old I had already been vice president of BMI I had already done three TV themes and movies and had a bunch of pop stuff and when I came down here, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a publishing deal. So I'd start my own company and, and, or manager. And, but more than that, I didn't, I, I never waited tables with anyone down here. I never struggled with anyone down in Nashville. Like the people who were my people were the people up in New York were like, mm -hmm. like Carrie Diaguardi, who we, you know, neither one of us had had a freaking cut and we just became great friends. And to this day, 25 years later, we're on the board of a foundation together and, and we're still, we're still friends. Um, you know, like Jamie Hartman, who's now doing great in LA. I showcased Jamie in 97. Wow. You know, and cause I just believed in him or Boots Adestad who ends up doing the Robbie Williams records. I met him in 94 and I'm like, you're freaking amazing, man. I'm just gonna tell everyone about you. Chris Barron, Spin Doctors. I had labels. I would bring his cassettes around to people. And I had, as the guy at Atlantic said, if you mention the word Spin Doctors or Lisa Loeb again, you're out of my office. <laughs> and I looked at them and I go, Spin Doctors, Lisa Loeb, one of you morons will sign them. Awesome. And well, Chris Barron just texted me 10 minutes ago. That's 30 years I've known him. 30 wow. Years. Let's give your tune a spin. Yeah. And, and the truth is nobody, I mean, I mean, no one knew any of us. We were, we were young kids. And then even, even when I started 33, 34, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to write. No one took me seriously. They all thought I was, you know, had a midlife crisis cause I almost died. And now I think I could become a songwriter and they were happy to go to the Knicks or the Yankee games with me, but, but they didn't want to write. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, you know, Clay, I, I went to Europe, to Sweden, Denmark, where there were good writers who didn't know who I was. I could just get it on my merit. I went to places, you know, I just went to try to find young writers yeah. who didn't care that I had no cuts. And then my attitude is once you get in the room, speaks for yourself. Yes. So, okay, so I'll, uh, I'll play this one. So it's, uh, you might know this, it's a... Uh, Big wheels keep on turning. <laughs> uh, it's not the one. Okay, sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Free bird. She rolls the window down and she talks over the sound. Cars that pass us by. I don't know why she's changed my mind. 
Would you look at her? She looks at me. Got me thinking about her constantly. She don't know how I feel. She carries on without a doubt. And I wonder if she's figured out I'm crazy for this girl. Crazy for this I thinking when the world didn't end, why didn't I know what I know now? Would you look at her? She looks at me, got me thinking about her constantly. She don't know how I feel. She carries on without a doubt, and I wonder if she's figured out I'm Like I said earlier, if you want to hear the rest of that interview, it's available for Songtown members on the Songtown website. Hope you found Jeff's story inspiring. Um, the sound quality on that song was that they did that interview on Zoom, so that's why it was a little flangy, but I, that's such a beautiful song. We wanted him to sing it. All right, in case you're not familiar with Songtown, Songtown is a worldwide community of songwriters. Uh, we have lessons, we have forums where you can interact, people connect to co-write. We just had several of our members get a number one song in Texas uh, that we they met on Songtown. So we connect people, we help them get their music heard, and we have all kinds of instructional videos and blogs on there. And so I'm going to play you the audio from a video Clay did about the tuning dadgad on guitar. And I hope you enjoy. Hey, Songtown. Today I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite all-time tunings that I've used throughout my career, and that is Dadgad. And there's a few reasons why I like this tuning. It's very versatile. The first time I heard it was on a song by the Goo Goo Dolls called Iris. And I was like, wow, what is this tuning that they've got going on? And that began my search. But it's used in country, bluegrass, rock. Um, Led Zeppelin used it. I mean, it, it covers a lot of bases. So that's the first reason I really like it. The second reason I like it is that it can make average chords sound really interesting. You play a B minor chord or a D chord in Dadgad, and it just has a different sound to it. 
The third reason I like it, it is very easy to get going once you're tuned up in DadGad. Um, doesn't require a lot of fancy finger shapes. Um, you can get a big sound with very simple fingering in the beginning. So let's dive on in. Okay, the first thing we're gonna do is tune three of our strings down a whole step so that we're in DadGad. So let's start on the high E string. And we're gonna tune that down to a D. And the way I like to do that is find the D on the guitar, your fourth string's a D string, and then tune that high E down a whole step so it's an octave above the D. Next, we go to that second string, the B string, and we're gonna tune that down a whole step to an A. So I'll first find the A string on the fifth string, and I'll tune that high one. So they're an octave apart. Bum, 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 bum. Then I'm gonna tune this low E string down to a D. So let's find that D string again. And you tune them an octave apart. So that's dadgad. D, A, D, G, A, D. One of the first hits I wrote using this tuning exclusively was Don't Think I Don't Think About It by Darius Rucker. And I got a video of me playing it, and I'll cut over to that and let you see a little bit of how that song went. And just to show you, this whole song that I ended up writing with Darius um, could be played with one finger. That's how simple it is. And I'll just show you. I lived out in a plow till lights and dust. So I wouldn't come in back, said I'd had enough. And that was the whole verse. Um, it was based around that riff, one finger. The chorus, once again, I can do it with one finger. Don't think I don't think about it. Don't think I don't have regrets. Don't think it don't get to me. Between the work and the hood and the whiskey, don't think I don't want about. Could have mentioned it all worked out. So once again, I don't want you to ever think that you're limited by your guitar skills. I can freaking play this song with one finger. How easy is that? So it's more about learning to trust your gut um, and, and trust your ear and, and being creative. So you can see that with one finger, you can do quite a lot in Dadgad. But it's very versatile. Um, if I wanted to play, say, a more bluesy kind of song, maybe I'm doing a sync thing. I could do something like this. And basically, what I love about this is that we have those octave notes in here. Remember the two Ds, the two lower Ds, and 
we have the A. So I can use that to do hammer-ons. I can use it to do slides. Let's see a little bit of this. Very handy when you're trying to sound bigger than what you actually are on the guitar. Kind of sounds like a mixture of a 12 string going. Very big. So let me just show you a couple of basic fingerings to get you going. This you can do all with one finger. Um, the first one is just take your first finger, put it on the second fret on that G string. That's gonna be a basic D chord. Then I'm gonna take it and move it up two frets here, play the fifth and sixth string. I'm just gonna kind of mute that next one and then play those high three strings open. And then you can slide that around. See, I can't help myself. I'm already coming up with melodies. with just one finger. Maybe you want to get a little pity going. So I'll put a little chord diagram of that basic one finger thing, but feel free to experiment, to move around. Sometimes you can take a basic shape like a B minor and just remove everything from those bottom three strings. another cool shape. I'll put those in below the video here so you can see those shapes and I hope this will get you started with a new tuning. Play around with it, have fun with it. Just start putting your fingers um, on the fretboard and see where they lead you. The great thing is this is going to really help you develop and follow your ear and we'll talk about that in another video where I talk about your oral act and that's where you follow your ear and follow where your melody ear wants to take you rather than where your brain wants to take you. Okay, guys, we'll see you in another lesson. Hope you learned something from that. And we always are grateful that you spend your time with us. Um, we're on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. If you want to check out other great podcasts about songwriting. But we appreciate you spending your time with us. We come out every Tuesday with something new and we hope you'll check out Songtown. There's information about Songtown and about several of our books in the show notes. And I want to leave you with a song. This was written by Terry Wayne and Carrie Latham. It's called I Like That. Let's go.
Right. 